Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I am doing pretty fantastic. As is the case with a lot of what we've been doing in this podcast, it feels like we've been playing catch up because of yet another hurricane. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm just feeling relieved to finally getting back to some sense of normalcy in these podcast recordings. So we went to record uh, like we do on Friday nights, our recording night. And I think 30 minutes before recording, your street lost power. Yep. Um, and I hurricane knew... Just to... Go ahead. Be- because the hurricane, I don't even think, was projected to hit my area. It shifted last minute. And so, I, you know, I was like, hey, this is happening good chance I might lose power. I'll let you know. And then there it went. We weren't able to do the episode. Yeah. Well, and I found out because my mom's, you know, your neighbor and my sister texted me and was like, Hey, we just heard a transformer blow up. We don't have power. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, okay, no recording this, (laughs) this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for the sense of normalcy and power again. Uh, but what about you? How you been doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I have discovered the joy of, Topo Chico with lime or grapefruit, not the plain one. Um, so I'm really, man, I mean, you would, you would think this is like crack or water or like, <laughs> like some kind of super addictive drug, man. I just can't stop drinking these things. I 100% understand. I drink them all the time too. And specifically because I've been trying to fast where I like only have a certain window where I can eat throughout the day. Yeah. And one of the things that I can't have is the Topo Chico mineral water. And it is a lifesaver getting me to the window of being able to eat. Uh, but I can't do the mineral water. I feel like an advertisement now. I can't. Anyways, I can't do the mineral the mineral water without the lime or the grapefruit. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it it's usually so has to be one of those. You know, it's so funny too because the like I get the glass bottle ones mm-hmm. and they're green and yeah. they look to me like Dos Equis bottles and I drink them a lot at work when I'm outside in the yards and I wonder how many, how often clients or passerbys think that I'm just drinking a beer on the job. Oh, okay. So the other day I'm doing my class on, you know, Teams and we have to record all our classes that, you know, if a kid's absent, they get to rewatch it and I take a drink and I realize I have this green glass bottle and so I stop. <laughs> So I stop and hold it up, and I'm like, this is a Topo Chico, and kind of hold the label up. This is a Topo Chico. Just want to make sure that's clear. And it wasn't even for my students. It was just for the sake of the recording. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's good to know I'm not the only one that's self-conscious about these things in this family. (laughs) Oh, hey, Anne brought one to her class, you know, and, like, just brought it to school with her. And she was in a Zoom meeting and drinking this thing with her principal and all other teachers. And, uh, yeah, it looks like a beer bottle <laughs> oh man i love it so oh and it's a D weekend oh yeah yeah we do every other weekend and um we actually for purposes of people playing and trying to like get everybody to play again regularly we had to skip mm-hmm. a week so i went two weeks without D playing this weekend super excited and supposedly we have a, a tough encounter coming up so well, hey, man, good luck. I hope it goes well. Yeah, me too. Me too. So so the guy running it is it's, it's a homebrew for him. And we, we're called, he calls us his beta group and he has an alpha group. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently the alpha group almost had a total party kill. 
when they got to this point. So we'll see. So really good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm oh, glad man. I haven't fallen too, too in love with my character yet. <laughs> you almost can it when you're first starting, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, in this episode, we are going to be discussing our review of Iron Man 2. But before we begin, I just want to give a reminder to anybody that may be listening that if you have any reviews or ratings of this podcast, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left it in your podcast platform of choice. Uh, A star rating and a review will go a long way for this podcast. Yeah, and if you really enjoy it, share it with a friend. Uh, Let's, you know, grow the community and help build the conversation. Yeah. So, like I said, we're going to be diving into Iron Man 2 which will mark the second movie in the MCU that we've done so far in this podcast. And just a little bit of a housekeeping here at the top. Uh, One of the things that Jude and I have been discussing is how we would be approaching these movies, because obviously, as you could tell, we've been kind of slow dripping these throughout the feed. We're going to be tackling these on a character-by-character basis. So we already did Iron Man, we're doing Iron Man 2, and that's uh, the guiding principle for what we're doing. Another thing, Uh, As we go through this movie, as we did with the last one, we are going to break this up into three acts and focus on those sections instead of doing a scene-by-scene breakdown. So here at the top, I just want to let everybody know that act one will consist of the beginning of the movie to the party scene that culminates with the fight between Tony and Rhodey. Act two... Act two is the rest of the movie. (laughs) Oh man, we have some thoughts on the structure of this movie. No, well, shoot, well, I'm not we, gonna, I mean, well, we had a hard time discerning what was Act Two of this movie. So, yeah, I I think you and I both had this uneasy sense of like, what do we do? Because <laughs> it was just so hard to find the structure. <laughs> but any case, Act Two, we're going to focus on the scene with Tony inside the donut, all the way to him crafting the new element, and finally. Act three will consist of Whiplash revealing his new weapon to the end of the film. You know what's funny? For Infinity mm-hmm. War, a, a, a picture of a donut was one of those like spoilers without context. <laughs> I, all right, we're already on the tangent. I love this. I despised those spoilers without context. They weren't as clever as they thought it was. <laughs> no, they weren't. They weren't. And they were pretty much just spoilers. <laughs> You know, it's like spoiler without context and, you know, a bunch of dust. Like, eh. yeah. It's SpongeBob with a glove. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. So, jumping back into Iron Man 2, uh, obviously, we open up with this cold open with Ivan Vanko. Um, we're kind of getting a detail of the relationship between him and his father. Uh, we have some context with Tony and his news briefing on the TV. And I think one of the things that I found so interesting is, you know, for being such a high mark to end on in the first movie, the replay of that I am Iron Man moment felt so much more cold in this episode. Like, it, it might have even been a different take, but I thought it was a good use of of an alternative take to really set the stage for what they were going for emotionally in this scene. You know what? I don't know if I noticed that until you, until mm-hmm. you bring it up, but it did have kind of a different uh, inflection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like... I, it, that's crazy. I don't know why I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. I liked the overlap they did with the yeah. Iron Man one because it really, I mean, it had that connective tissue. Although at this point in the timeline, I don't know MCU timeline. I don't, I don't think we would talk about that connective tissue in the same way we mean it now, right? Mm-hmm. But it did give you the sense of 
truly carrying over from that first one, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and clearly, because obviously in the first movie, we are with Tony in that scene. So like we're riding that high. But when you distance yourself from the reality of it, it almost kind of grounds it in more of like a serious situation of somebody having that hubris to be like, yeah, I'm I am this super powered person. Right. Right. I think another thing that I found interesting is, you know, this cold open, I think, tries to do all the work for Vanko that Iron Man 1 did for Tony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it tries to do it all in this cold open, but it took the first half of the first film for Tony. And I, you know, obviously Ivan isn't our main character, so I feel like they can get away with it a little bit since they have the shorthands of the first movie to draw parallels. But I think one of the first issues that I run into with this film is that if this film is trying to be an exploration of what could have been for Tony, I don't think having all of this characterization of Ivan relegated to the cold open is sufficient enough. Right. Well, I would say one thing I liked about this cold open was, and not just that you're seeing it through Ivan Vanko's eyes, Ivan Vanko's Mm -hmm. eyes, you're seeing it, uh, like when we first see it, like you said, there's this moment of excitement. There's because you know what he's supposed to say, stick to the cards, all, all of that. And you're in the room and you kind of have that feeling of when all the reporters, you know, jump out of their seats. And so you kind of have that feeling as well. But doing it here, it's neat to experience that same moment in a very different light or like or outside of that event in a very mm-hmm. just kind of newsreel feel. I will say, though, to your point about kind of that rushing Vanko through the same situation as Iron Man. Mm-hmm. My note is mm-hmm. how high tech is this arc reactor really? If it can be built so easily with a box of scraps, <laughs> essentially twice now. <laughs> and isn't that such a great meta analysis of Iron Man and his villains overall is that it always seems to be like them just doing what Tony did. <laughs> I know. Like, but it's just like it's this hard high tech reactor, you know, and and we have the Jeff Bridges, you know, line of like Tony Stark built this with a box of scraps in a cave, kind of kind of thing. Got to just you know to pull out that impression again. I'm so glad you did. You're gonna have to find a way to work it in Iron Man three too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, oh, I'll look for it. But but really, you know, it's like like he can't do it. Tony did this. Vanko must be unbelievably brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because he essentially did the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. In fairness, Which, like I think what like you do get the kind of the setup. Okay, he had his dad's blueprints, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had some blueprints there, but still, it's like I don't know. Like you went to that well once, going to it again, it, I think was just kind of like what? Yeah, because I mean. It, it... Like, I mean, they even had, like, a shot where Vanko is kind of in that tank top that Tony was wearing, and he's just hammering on with wearing the goggles on on some piece of the tech. Obviously, I'm not a high-tech person. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, th- I mean, there were shots that almost mirrored exactly what Tony was doing in the first film. Yeah. Well, now, I'll say this. For, for me, and I don't know if I want to say this in full yet, so I'm just going to hint at it. For what I ended up feeling like the theme of this, overall theme of this movie was... It mm-hmm. makes sense that they go to that level of detail with Vanko in in showing how it how how much it mirrors Tony's building it, right? Like it mm-hmm. like it makes sense in in terms of the theme. I don't it wasn't readily apparent that that that's what they were doing, I feel like in terms of 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 a larger theme for the film. 
Yeah, because like I said, my my notes state that you know it's a it's an effective shorthand because we have the first movie to draw on. But as I'm tr- thinking through the rest of the movie, like I think the problem I run into is that it's not enough given how much more this movie tries to tackle. So I can see where that feeling of like, okay, well we've done this already, you know, kind of is is adjacent to that. Right. Moving from there, uh, we do get to the Stark Expo. You know, the the first thing that I was really coming to grips to is that clearly we've seen regression in Tony's character from the last film. Right. That that first one felt like, you know, there was this lesson learned about the responsibility of power uh, and it humbled him. But here it seems like, which I might be a little confused on this timeline, was it stated how many years it's been since the first Iron Man film? It was not. I took it as months later. Months later? Okay. That's how I took it well, because because Vanko's watching the newsreel footage of him saying, I am Iron Man. That's a good point. Which actually, he's like, man, how high tech and, is and, this if he watched that newsreel and then had it built so quickly? Didn't it? But didn't it say something about months later? Did I, Am I remembering this wrong and not write this on my notes? No, I think between the time of him building it to the expo was a few months later, yeah. but I don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. So good point. Okay. Well, so, I, so anyway. I, hey, just quick side note. This whole uh-huh. jumping out of the plane without a parachute, Iron Man did it first. Wait, what? Well, in Captain America Winter Soldier, he jumped out of the plane without a chute. Just saying Iron <laughs> Man did it first. Didn't Didn't Steve do it in the first Captain America? Without a chute? When him and No, he did have a chute. Never mind. You're right. You're right. I take it back. I mean he does have Hell in the suits. Avengers he's took the time to put one on. <laughs> That's just responsibility. Uh, <laughs> and the anyway, fact that they had Iron Man get hit by a firework was just so great. Like was, it really it, I, I don't understand why they did it, but it was so funny. Well, you know, because this is actually leading into my point. Like, you know, they wanted to, to drum it up like it's going to be this, oh, he's dropping into this war zone thing. We don't really know what's going on. The music kicks in. Oh, this is classic Tony. And then you slowly have this reveal of like, oh, no, this isn't dangerous at all. This is just him dropping in on an extravagant display. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having him bounce off the firework was just, it was, it demonstrated this, um, not lack of self-awareness, but carelessness, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Like, Tony shouldn't have ran into that, but there was almost this hubris that kept him, you know, from being focused. And then he has that big show where he lands in front of all the cheerleaders. So getting back to what I was saying, you know, that first one, he really felt like, responsibility learned and then here we are and it's just like gone so far out the window well you know what what i think i i man i don't remember exactly when i first saw it i'm pretty sure you know i mean like years ago first saw it i don't remember the jump in there thinking like he was ever in danger because i think this was Mm -hmm. right in the trailer yeah so like i i knew what was happening and so, to me, the diving out of the plane because, you know, he can fly was a little ridiculous. <laughs> it just it just was. Like, I, I don't... You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But It's like, what's the magic trick here? Right. Well, and but that's the thing. I mean, to give you an idea, and I don't know if it's because it was in the trailer or stuff, but I don't ever remember a time watching this movie feeling like I was watching him dive into a war zone and then, the, then mm-hmm. oh, it's not. Right, like, like that's something. Every time I've ever watched this movie, outside of like having the interaction and having a neat scene between him and Pepper, mm-hmm. 
Are we in the movie or am I getting the trailer confused now? You are, because I know exactly what you're talking about, where she kisses the helmet right. and throws it. Right. So, that's totally the trailer. Yeah, see, so like, but, but that's what I mean. Like, that's why I don't, I, I never had that feeling. Yeah, it, it's a it's a miscommunication between the intentions of what's written and what is actually conveyed. Right. Because, I mean, because they have the, the vague, like, uh, person on the comms that's relaying information that sounds like, oh, he's dropping into a war zone, but... I never thought about what the context of me in the moment of watching it for the first time. Like, you're right. Like, I, I didn't think of it that way, but that's clearly what they were aiming for. But, you know, as we're kind of talking about how, like, we were seeing some regression in Tony and, and, and how flashy and showy is, you know, one of the questions I wrote down in my notes is how much of this is a show? We've already seen how he falls back on his charisma and his witty remarks as a way to kind of mask how he's truly feeling. And so... You know, we have this scene where he kind of steps to the side of the stage to check his, like, uh, blood toxicity, and the whole demeanor of him has changed. Um, and, you know, having it punctuated by his dad in the the video giving the speech about, like, oh, you know, technology is making our lives better. It's such a great ironic moment for what's happening with Tony. You know what? Right here is where I feel like the actual theme of the movie, which I mentioned earlier, and, and again, the issue with that earlier scene that I didn't pick up on it. Right, right away, and and it could just be the way it was edited or or whatever. But the, the theme to me of this movie is about legacy, right? Because mm-hmm. you have the earlier Howard Stark, you have him talking about uh, th- this is the future, and I mean, actually, I feel like this is if you think about what Tony Stark's arc is, all the way to the end of Endgame. I feel like this is more where it begins than in the first Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And up front, as you could, people can maybe already tell, like this wasn't our favorite movie or my favorite movie to watch through um, mm-hmm. in, in this fashion. But it was just, just to me so blatant at this point of like, oh, this movie's about legacy. And, he, and though you bookended it with I Am Iron Man between those, and when you think about what he does with Endgame, going to see his father again... Like, this is really like, oh, the, like, Tony's worried about his legacy, and that's the arc the rest of the way through. Which, to me, again, go back to that thing with Venko, like, that's Venko, right? He's, it's it's him and his dad and his own legacy, right? Mm-hmm. And he's driven to here, and we don't get all of that information there, it's hinted at. And so it's like, we're, you're it's not fully clear why Venko's doing what he's doing doing i mean to give you some puzzle pieces mm-hmm. whereas i think if they did this first and like established oh this movie's about legacy and then gave you a few more puzzle pieces in vanco and maybe vanco's watching the expo not the footage that connects you back into iron man one mm-hmm. you know or find a way to connect those footage from iron man one and the expo in, in a more clear way I don't know if, if that makes sense because because now you have these two competing legacies that that pulls through. No, the that makes the total sense. Because as I'm thinking about it, as I always try to do with these reviews, like I watch it multiple times, so I don't know if I picked up on what I was talking about with Vanco that first rewatch after you know a few years. And I, I think you're making a good point if they kind of reverse it, where introduce us with the familiar, which is Tony and his father, because we hinted at it, but we would get more of an exploration with what we see here 
Um, and I think you're right about it being more effective if the, the Venko scene comes next. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I, I, maybe I'm getting a little too much in the weeds here, but obviously one of the quote-unquote emotional moments of the cold open is, you know, Venko's father passes away and he kind of has that, like, guttural reaction where he's screaming. Yeah. I don't think that connects with audiences as much because we don't know who this person is. Like, we're, we're just getting to meet them and immediately they're gone so you don't have that connective tissue but i think if we use your idea of reversing it you can draw that parallel and it becomes much more effective than what it was yeah. to begin with yeah well and i, I do like you mentioned that like you have that demeanor change where he is off on the side checking his blood um because i, I have a quote from here his dad says in the law lo- in the in the video the line is uh tech technology will lead to better living but as he's saying that on screen, Tony's checking his blood where the technology is literally killing Tony. Right. Such a great use of irony there. Yeah. I do want to circle back to this because just to hammer home the point, because you were talking about how the movie reveals its theme to be about legacy. If I'm not even mistaken, again, back in the expo, Tony's opening speech, I think he even says something to the extent of like, this isn't about me or even about you. This is about the future. I think that was the exact quote. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to to hammer home that one little point. Two things that I have just right here, and they're just little neat side notes. They cut away after the expo, and he says something after after Tony's address is done, and the news reporter was played by Olivia Munn, uh-huh. you know, who at that time, I, I mean, she goes on to do other things. She plays Psylocke eventually uh, in the X-Men universe. And then when he was served papers to go, the, the subpoena to go to what would eventually be the next scene, I guess, to, um, why am I blanking on this? The Senate? Yeah. So, and then when he served papers, right, to go to the Senate, it's uh, played by Kate Mara, who, again, in the Fox universe, played Sue Richards of the Fantastic Four. So I knew the Libya Munn connection. That's really good. I forgot that she played uh, in Sue Richards in the Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's okay. That's... Not a lot of people saw it. If you look at the box office. I did see it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? For all the things you haven't seen, saw, you saw that one? I saw it in theaters. <laughs> and it's it's not all bad. Don't get me wrong. It's not good, but it's not for lack of trying. It was okay. it was a, a okay start. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode on it. You're saying that just to search for an intag, right? No, I promise. <laughs> I've not seen it. I have thoughts on it. I've not seen it. Uh, but also it was interesting because yeah. she tried to uh, hand him the subpoena papers and mm-hmm. he, that whole, I don't like to be handed things. Uh, he doesn't uh-huh. want to take it. So anyways, it was just yeah. neat little tidbits right there. You know, I can't remember if this was on podcast or off podcast, but you had, we were talking on the subject of like actors that the MCU used, but not efficiently. This might've been an off podcast one, but yeah. you mentioned Kate Mara. Mm-hmm. And I think I just said like, oh Yeah. And moved on. I did not remember her being in this film mm-hmm. until until we rewatched it. Yeah, that's such a shame. I wonder if this was like them not realizing how talented of a person they had on their hands in this. Yeah, I think because like, this is pretty early on in her career. I think so, and it's such a small part that if they wanted to cast her for something, I don't think people would care. Yeah, she's too talented not to yeah. to have that be the reason she doesn't come back. So we mentioned that Tony has this Senate hearing coming up and, uh, you know, we've had this discussion about how this film wants to be 
a debate about the responsibility of power. And I think they do such a great job of wrapping that up in a real world ramification of the Senate hearing about whether or not Tony should hand over the power that he's developed. And just kind of stepping back on a meta level, I think one of the fun things about rewatching these movies is renewing my knowledge of the universe. Because I, I think I mentioned multiple times, it always felt like Civil War was the first one that was like, oh, you know, they're bringing in real world ramifications. But clearly with the Senate hearing, you know, that that feels so grounded oh, for yeah. so, being so early in the MCU. Yeah, like, you're right. That was kind of the praise. Not kind of, that was some of the praise for Civil War and it's happening here. Also, what I find interesting about this movie everybody who's an MCU fan knows that this is usually at the bottom of the list somewhere. Mm -hmm. There's some people that might have it higher and that's their preference and fine. But, but the general consensus overall, I've always maintained that this movie got better as the MCU went along because of these types of things, not realizing, but they already had real world repercussions um, early on. Um, mm -hmm. and then bringing back Senator Stearns and other places that, and so there's a lot of stuff that like feel like retroactively made this movie better. Mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, you know, we've often talked about how it almost feels like the MCU is episodic on a very high budget level. Like there are episodes in a TV show and, I can see what you mean about how this one got retroactively better, having a more complete picture of the MCU. And I think what makes this one at the time and probably longer lasting on people's l lower ends of their list is it is a, it does feel incomplete until you have the remainder of the MCU out. Right. So I think another thing that I like about this Senate scene is that this is where we get introduced to Justin Hammer. Uh, we already talked about how much we enjoy Sam Rockwell. And the thing that I was most impressive of is how they did a great job of establishing him as the rival. I mean, out the gate, you know, he has him calling Tony the golden boy, and he's invoking Howard Stark as the father to everyone, not just Tony, uh, you know. And God, this one got under my skin, but the way he just kept referring to him as Anthony instead of Tony, mm -hmm. it was just like going out of his ways to f to find ways to just get under your skin. Yeah. You, it, okay, so here's the way I identified very much with Justin Hammer. Um, and, and I think his character was meant to be like this. I always say, like, the tech guys at work or whatever is like, hey, do you want me to work on this or do you want to work on it computer-wise? And I've always let them do it. Because with computers, I feel like I know just enough to break it, right? <laughs> and and I feel like that's what we get with Hammer. Like you see that, like he like he couldn't figure out how to unplug the TV when Stark, you know, hacked it and started playing. Like just pull the plug. Like he couldn't do it. And so, mm -hmm. and and so yeah. So it's just it, it, that's what I feel like with Hammer. Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and he and he and Mer Sam Rockwell plays it so well, right. It's that little brother syndrome, man. It's just like the yeah. thinking you have the upper hand and then slowly revealing yeah. that you don't and floundering yeah. trying to get it back. Well, I think we mentioned this where Sam Rockwell had a shot. I mentioned this on another podcast uh, episode. He had a shot to be Iron Man, didn't work out. And it was almost like a make, not a makeup casting, but like a here's your chance to play a different version of Tony, you know, and here let's mm -hmm. put your spin on it, um, which was fantastic. There is, it's almost no better contrast. Like you couldn't draw that up better. It just worked out perfectly between the two. Yeah. Now, uh, well, the other thing we get of the scene, 
we get the Don Cheadle roadie introduction, mm-hmm. and his first line was brilliant. Right. Look, it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. Let's move on. But like to me, that's directly at the fans. You know. And I you know, it. It, it's a line that I think Don Cheadle bursted into the MCU with and has ridden the energy with since because I, I love War Machine. Uh, I think he's awesome as Rhodey, and it's just such a brilliant way to bring him in to the recast. And and I like that, you know, I mean, he goes and he does his job. He does what's asked. Um, he does what most people think when they watch some kind of hearing in a TV show or whatever. You know, and, and we all get this feeling. Some kind of lawyer show or something like that. They ask a question. And you know the answer's not going to be favorable for the character we want it to be. And and we know it's going to be out of context. And he just outright is like, well, hey, you know, you, you want me to write a single page? This is out of context. And he tries to address that. Um, so it was mm-hmm. kind of, to me, a neat, like, like speaking for us moment. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking about that moment specifically, I, up until this point, I really am enjoying what the movie is doing. Um, with the threads that they're setting up. You know, we have the wrong son of a disgraced partner with Ivan. We have the jealous rival of a competing company with Justin, Hammer. And then we have the best friend who doesn't trust Tony's use of Iron Man, which all of these are great threads to pull at this question of whether or not Tony's responsible enough for holding the mantle. Right. And specifically with Rhodey, you know, having the benefit of this being a rewatch, we know that we're working towards a falling out between them. And so pitting them against each other right now is great since it's done in a way where, like you said, Rhodey is being manipulated in a way to demonstrate how he truly feels, but that's not how he would have presented it because Tony is his friend. So it's this great narrative drama between a choice that Rhodey's having to make. Well, and the way it ended with Tony kind of being Tony and taking over, leaving, you know, you can't have it and and all that stuff the the kind of the feeling and the look on Rhodey's face kind of foreshadowed what's coming. Um, and also the way Rhodey got left, I didn't realize it was Terrence Howard, but the way Rhodey got left out to dry um, in the previous uh, movie when, when mm-hmm. uh, oh, with the award. You know, speaking of the way Tony was leaving, I find it so interesting and a great commentary about the movie itself that, Tony's solution out of this hearing is not proving that he's any more capable of handling the suit, but proving that others are worse. Right. And I really think that speaks volumes about the way this movie's philosophy on this question is played out. Yeah, right, right. Well, and then Hammer is like, I'd like to, I'd like to, for the record, that that pilot survived with the, with the one that had his twisted all the way around. <laughs> now, you know, an interesting side note. In the comic, Tony Stark was eventually Secretary of Defense. Really? Yeah, I think this was after, I think after the Civil War comic run. So that had huh. to be somewhere in the 2000s. So that's a nice little nod in the dialogue there. Yeah. Because he has that line about like, you know, I'll settle for Secretary of Defense, but we'll have to rework the hours. Yeah. <laughs> So moving from there, I think the next point that we kind of wanted to touch on uh, is this is where we get Natasha Romanoff's entrance into the MCU and this film as well. And it's not great. You know what? My first note is interesting intro to Black Widow, especially knowing where she ends up and how beloved a character she is. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting way to introduce this character. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it goes back to what, something I said 
In the first movie, I mentioned that it's okay for a character to be flawed, but the movie has to know that it's highlighting bad behavior. Clearly, that lesson wasn't learned because, you know, we have we have uh, Natasha. I keep I'm tripping up because in my notes I wrote Natalie because that's the way she's introduced into the movie. But right. I'm just going to say Natasha because we know who it is. Right. You know, we have this character Natasha who's coming in. We know she's capable. She's um, Black Widow. But from the get go, we have both Happy and Tony kind of undermining her. We have Tony oogling at her. Happy's making comments about like, oh, you know, what's your workout routine? You do a booty boot camp or something like that. And so the movie wants to make these remarks and undercut her and then try and save itself by showing how badass she is. But the movie never learns the lesson because it keeps going back to these sexist remarks. Right. Uh, I think not soon after we have it where they're they're going back to that same joke with Christine Everhart and doing the quote unquote spread on Tony. Right. so it's just it's problematic the almost the entire way that they handled not only Natasha but all the women in this character yeah. in this movie. Yeah, if I try to okay, can't believe I'm going to do this. If I try to justify it, like I, I can see where it's like okay, I need a reason for Tony to want to hire her, right? Like mm-hmm. like so we know she's a shield agent, right? That she's infiltrating mm-hmm. in and you know, so what's the reason Tony would pick you out over somebody else? Uh, so let's appeal to this side of Tony, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the photos, you know, the that he looks up and, and all of that. So that's going to be, like, story-wise, I, I guess that's the justification or the reasoning why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't... It, I want to say... I wasn't say it doesn't age well. It just doesn't. Not that it ages well. It just doesn't play well. Just, just like you said. Yeah. Like it just doesn't. Hmm. Well, especially it's flawed from the start. Yeah, I mean, especially when it's already very clear. I think, at least in the way, the direction of Pepper and Tony was going in the first movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, you're clearly wanting them to have a relationship, and you're building that. And yet you have this scene right in front of them, uh, mm-hmm. right right in front of Pepper. I mean, Pepper does make the remark. She's a, you know, a lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah, it just doesn't play well at all. No. And I'll even peek ahead a little bit uh, without going too much into it. One of the things I struggle with is finding out what this movie's, like, lesson learned. And... It, it, it seems like one of the lessons that wants to be learned is his feelings for Pepper. And so if that's the arc that he's going on, having this scene here is just completely, you know, it doesn't fit. Right. And, you know, when I texted you after my initial rewatch, I think I said watching Iron Man 2 in 2020 really highlights how this film is kind of the embodiment of like American arrogance. Mm -hmm. Like every question on a narrative and meta level is answered with just do more. And so I think this scene highlights that specifically because don't get me wrong. I love Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Like there is no other person that could do it. Right. But it almost felt like in this scene in particular, he's a caricature of himself. Like, you know, that he has that scene where Natasha gets into the ring and he just kind of like stares at her and then says, what? Like, you know, trying to be aloof, trying to do 
you know, one up what he did in the last film. And yeah. I think that hurts the narrative more than serves it. Yeah. I, I'd be curious to know how much of this was scripted and how much of mm-hmm. this was improv. Yeah. Like not the movie, this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it just, like you said, that, that whole interaction just, just doesn't, it just feels out of place. Mm-hmm. It feels like it should have been cut. You know, moving on from there, we get to, I think, one of the bigger set pieces of the film, which is the race and Monaco. Uh, ultimately, this leads to the fight with Whiplash, the first introduction. But I think one of the first things that stuck out to me is, like, it is such a shame that Robert Downey Jr. and Sam Rockwell work so well against each other. And this film doesn't capitalize it on more than, I think, just this scene. Like, they have a brief little interlude at the end of the movie, but as far as, like, full-on interaction, it was the Senate hearing in this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. Like, you're right. Oh, my gosh. Now that I think about it, yeah, I don't know if they had a scene together since. The only other scene they have is when he arrives at the expo at the end. He's like, hey, what are you doing here, like, buddy? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but other than that, like, yeah, how how do you go that entire film without having more between and them? They, and they played well with that. Well, and and I wonder. Well, let me just ask you, outright at this point, do you feel like? Well, it sounds weird because it's like there's only two big bads or villains, right? That that are working together. Was it too much? Should they have just had Whiplash or just had Hammer? Like, found a way to do that. Hmm. You know, I thought about this a lot, and I think what I came to in my notes was it could work with Justin and Vanko, but I'll say it right now because we're already hinted. I think the, where this movie starts to fall apart is this Monaco scene. Like, it felt com- like it's a cool scene, and I love it, and it has one of my favorite suit-ups of the entire Tony arc. But when I thought about what it was doing to surface the story, like, I couldn't figure out why it was here. And so, so much time is wasted on it where I think you could have made the two villains work. But if this movie stays the way it is, it needs to determine whether it wants to have Justin Hammer as the villain or if it wants to have Ivan Vanko. Because they're like you said, there is too much at this point. Right. Oh, my note here. What about you? My note here. I'm as you talk as you talk about here's where it starts to fall apart. I'm confused as to how Vanko knew Stark was going to be a Monaco. Oh, I know, right? Like I don't know unless I missed something still to no, this day. I, like I have no idea how it had known. I'm going to read you my notes right here. Why is Tony racing? Unless I missed it, this Monaco scene feels out of place. Like, I know he obviously, like, is making bad decisions and takes over. But, like, you know, why is that happening? Uh, Why does Tony need bad ideas in the face of his toxicity? Uh, Why did Vanko know he was going to be there? Like, it's just so many questions after questions. Well, see, I can forgive the race, right? Because he just checks himself. He feels like he's dying. And so he's taking unnecessary risks, right? So, mm-hmm. like, like, I can forgive the, I own it, I'm going to go race. But, like, for mm-hmm. Vanko to know he's going to be in Monaco and know, like, it's a spur-of-the-moment decision to go race by Stark. But how, so how did Vanko know to go onto the track to get Stark? It's, it's, it's similar to what we've talked about in Daredevil. They were working towards the scene instead of having it happen naturally. Like, it doesn't make sense, but they wanted to have it, so they forced yeah, it. Yeah, it's a cool scene, so let's figure out a way to put it in. That's what it feels like. Mm. You know, and kind of sticking with that, you know how I was saying that this it feels like this movie's answer to everything is more? You know, specifically this scene with Ivan walking away and cars exploding behind him exemplifies this. Like, right. 
Um, you know, I, I know walking away from explosions is a trope for, you know, badassery, but it feels so jarring, especially with the slow motion. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the reason it was so out of place to me and and, and fits exactly with you, what you're saying about how Benko knew all this it's because everything that's happening feels so inconsequential to Whiplash's actions and more of a product of him being lucky and not being hit. So there is no, like, he's a capable villain. He's just a, this moving force with almost, like, nothing behind him since it's, it's you know, obviously all scripted. Well, he, his midsection and leg should have been messed up. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, like, yeah. like I get, like, the the level of strength when working and and I can forgive that right like mm-hmm. you're in the Iron Man suit there's a level of strength um, Whiplash has the whips you know running by the arc reactor mm-hmm. and so and those are powerful but he doesn't have a full suit the way Stark does so mm-hmm. the idea that he gets crushed between the car and the wall multiple repeatedly t- yeah repeatedly and is able to essentially... I mean, I know he's drug away, but timeline-wise in the movie, he basically walks away from it. Mm -hmm. And you could pass it off to like, oh, power of the arc reactor. But mm, no, that's that doesn't make sense, even within the realm of this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But to me, that goes to show you the, the wanting more, as you said, and the wanting to just look cool more so than... Okay, does this world make sense? Right. And I will say this. This is something I was thinking about, but I didn't really write it down, but now it feels right to ask it now that we're here. Do you feel like the action scenes, or really the action in this scene, felt stiff? Almost as if there was this, like, realization that you can only do so much with somebody who's in a powered suit and somebody who only has whips? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, Mm -hmm. like... Well, I I feel like the whole scene shows there's not really much of a contest. Yeah. You know, I mean, the way Iron Man defeated him. It's like, okay, yeah, you hit me with a whip, but I'm inside this suit and I'm getting this, you know, this power thing and I'm just going to, what you know, he kind of wrapped himself up in it, got close and then did his thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it never, it, it had cool cinematic moments. You know, like like you talked about the slow mo and all that other stuff, but it never really felt like danger. Yeah, you know, um, especially like again, I'm gonna go back to getting slammed by the car. Like that's that's a comedic moment. Throw me the suit. Throw me the suit. Hit him again. Hit him again. Throw me the suit. Like <laughs> like that's that's for comedic effect. So so you never really felt like this like danger was taking place or happening. Right. Yeah. I think it's one of it's a good because we always see this general sentiment like oh you know those Marvel movies they always play to humor when they don't let their serious side come through and I think this is a good example of one of their sins being on full display yeah I will say this because I wrote this specifically because I was like man I'm being really hard I want to make sure I get at least one positive thing to say from all this Monica stuff you know Tony being willing to fight without his suit, I think is the first sign of progress from the last film. And I was really glad that they at least had that moment in there. Because yeah. leading up to all of this, it was just like, honestly kind of disappointed in Tony. But the fact that, you know, Whiplash shows up and he doesn't have a suitcase yet and he's still trying to take him on, I was like, okay, cool. There's the hero that we know. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like here, we're going to see that that's in him. 
you know, we don't see it full display. I'm not even sure we see that yet full display in this movie, but but it's 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 a it's present. Mm-hmm. It's a good running line, running thread. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a note here. Uh huh. After at this point, Act Two begins. Does it? Well, but that's but that's my note. That's that's the point. Like to me, like I had a no Act Two question mark, whereas you know our outline. We're going up to the party, and I and all mm-hmm. I'm and I'm bringing that up just to say or just kind of. I think maybe now we're just beating a dead horse, but like, it felt weird of like, oh, this is the end of a structure, right, uh, mm-hmm. of an act structure, and we're moving into something else, um, and and it, and that's where it really, as you said, started to fall apart. Yeah. I will say this because like you and I were trying to determine where we would break this up uh, for our note taking. I, I agree with you in that like this feels like it should be where that breaks, but we still have this this scene to deal with Rhodey, which in a way, if we want to talk about like should it either be Justin or should it be Vanko, I think unwittingly you could argue Rhodey is kind of the muscle to the villainy of mm-hmm. Justin. And so that's why it it feels like we had to include this in this beginning part before we break into act two, because it's like its own little separate thread that needs to be wrapped up. Instead of being woven together nicely, it's two endpoints. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So, you know, then I'll I'll say this before we jump too too far into the the party scene, we do have that scene with Tony and Ivan in the prison cell. And he has that whole conversation about like the, if you can make God bleed, um, you know, people cease to believe in him. I like all that. But my question was, do you think that this confrontation came too early between Ivan and Tony? Because, you know, I, you know, I like the angle that this movie's illustrating as it's almost kind of trying to tackle this idea of the haves and the have nots between Tony and, and Ivan. Uh, you know, obviously we've seen the whole movie where Tony's been, you know, all this extravagant display of riches and we have Ivan literally down to his underwear, which I thought was an interesting choice. And so, I mean, you have them here meeting for the first time. Hmm, was it too early? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I <laughs> It's not 100% clear yet who Vinko is. Okay. And to me, in relationship to Tony and why he has this grudge with Tony. Right. And Tony's trying to find that out. And so, in some ways, it's like, I don't think it's too early. It's just there's not enough information, I guess. Because, like, mm-hmm. Tony goes there to investigate, like, hey, you have my tech kind of thing. Where'd you know about it? Um, he even mentions about where he went wrong, like drops a little hint, not enough cycles per second or something like that. And then later in the movie that comes back where Tony or, um, Vanko calls Tony and says, Hey, thanks for the tip initially, you know, Mm -hmm. and said, you were right. Cycles per second, uh, kind of thing. So in that, in that way, yeah. In, in that way, I don't think it was too early. It it was just not enough information, I guess, of like, that wasn't, Mm -hmm. Like, the, like there's yet to see outside of, oh, you're the bad guy, a clear connection as to what grudge he had with Tony. Mm-hmm. You know, it, as you were working through that, that helped me work through that. It's 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 the same feeling I think I had at the beginning of like, yes, it's sad that, you know, this guy's dad passed away, but we didn't know them. So it's I, I see what you mean about like we don't know enough to have this scene feel 
or have all the pieces to know how to feel in this confrontation. You know, it's interesting. One of the big critiques we had of Daredevil episodes was, mm-hmm. was like, you don't, don't, why are you spelling this out for us? Yeah. Like, like you've already done a good job of showing this to us. Why are you, why are you doing this? You know, um, whereas this is like the opposite. Like, like, no, you, it's like you think you're showing us enough, but you're really not. <laughs> and I kind of need you to spell this out for me a little bit better. Oh, man. You know, I think I have one little point to put on this whole scene because we shortly after we get Ivan breaking out and we're kind of discussing this idea of like, did this movie do too much with Ivan and Justin? Uh, Justin Hammer, it feels weird to call him just Justin. Yeah, I, I think two things. You know, the way that Ivan breaks out where he's captured, uh, he gets this note about like, hey, enjoy the mashed potatoes. It turns out to be a bomb. Conveniently, he has somebody that looks like him wearing the same prison cell suit. So he like puts together that, oh, this is going to be his body double. And they orchestrate this entire thing where he gets to have his like badass walkout moment. And then he gets captured again and brought to Justin. And it's it's one, it shows again how inconsequential everything is to him. He's just going along for the ride. And then two, on a meta level, it's almost like the Justin Hammer plotline absorbs the Ivan plotline. And there you have the ultimate conflict we're having between the antagonists here. Yeah, yeah. Like it's... <laughs> it's so convoluted. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and, and here's another note. Like... Does the prison break start act two? Or was this ending <laughs> act one? Like I wasn't like I literally have that written down. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh man. So, you know, again, we're we're moving on, I think, towards this conversation that we're gonna have with Tony and Rhodey. Um it starts off where Tony is in his garage and he's watching film and learning more about Ivan and the history with his father. And Rhodey comes in, um, basically telling him like, hey, man, I, you know, I tried to vouch for you. You need to give up these suits now or they're about to break down your door. And then that's when they Rhodey realizes how in dire straits Tony is. I think the thing that stood out to me was whenever Rhodey starts to show concern, Tony responds with, contrary to popular belief, I know exactly what I'm doing. You know, right in my note, I put, what is Tony doing? Like, yeah. this movie is set up to ask the question, is Tony responsible enough to be Iron Man? And it's done a great work setting up the antagonist characters, but it hasn't done anything to show us he should be. Like, it hasn't done anything to show why he's good. And it, to me, it harkens back to that scene of where he looks in the mirror in Monaco and asks, got any other bad ideas? Why is, to me, I kept asking, why is he seeking out these bad ideas? Is it just because he's dying? You know what? It's, it's okay. So there was a comic run called demon in the bottle with mm-hmm. iron man and he was um alcoholism right and i think roadie takes over being iron man or something and i'm paraphrasing that that story run and this movie was kind of an amalgamation of like that demon in the bottle storyline and this another storyline called terminus um which is really weird because it took elements of that storyline for here so for example like the arctor actor being in a triangle and stuff that was a terminus storyline mm-hmm. but iron man 3 was an even better use of terminus you know so so it was mm-hmm. like they took that terminus storyline and some elements particularly with the arc reactor and put it here um other elements of storyline or, or the more or the heart of the core of the storyline over in iron man 3 um and the steam in the bottle so even there like what original content they're pulling from was kind of confusing. 
And mm-hmm. it's almost like they wanted to have that demon in the bottle alcoholism struggling Tony, but they did it through the arc reactor and dying mm-hmm. and needing to find a new arc reactor rather than actual alcohol problems. And, you know, and they even kind of hint at it, too, because in the very beginning, the first exchange that Tony has with Pepper, he's drinking that green liquid that establishes mm-hmm. that, like, he's using yeah. it to help himself deal with the poisoning. And I think one of Pepper's first accusations when she smells his breath is like, are you drinking? And he's like, no. And so they tiptoe around this alcoholism, but I don't think they actually really dive into it at all. Right. And so and so it's it's like they it's like they wanted to do that. And I understand. OK, so it's a PG-13 movie. Who's your audience and, and different stuff like that. Um, but it's like they wanted to do that and have the reasons and and have this behavior, but they also wanted to to back off of that and give them something else. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't, like I said, it just, it just didn't come across uh, that well, if that makes sense. You know, it, it was very schizophrenic. Yeah, I think what I came around or came away with is that, you know, if you're going to put forward all this erratic and bad behavior without giving us time to just see how much everything is weighing on them, then it doesn't cast a sympathetic look of someone in trouble. It creates an obnoxious lead. And I think that's the problem that this movie is having this far into the movie. Now, side note, a water bottle that he had in that scene with him and Rhodey. Uh-huh. I, I had that water bottle for two. I went and I got me one of those. That's how much a fun boy I am. <laughs> Did you get it because of the movie? Or Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why didn't you bring up that for your cool merch question of the week? You know what? I forgot about it um, when we did that because mm-hmm. it was it, it looked really cool. Um, it was plastic. And it was an embarrassing moment going down the hallway and then you drop it and it breaks and it's full of water and you're trying to get to class. <laughs> oh, um, man. And it didn't like snap in half, but like the hinge, the way it opened and closed, you know, mm-hmm. made of plastic and it hit just right. The hinge broke and then gulp, oh. water all over the floor, you know, and it was like five minute passing periods. I got to get down to, you know, so, so yeah, that was a mess. Um, so, but like, <laughs> I didn't think about it at that time because of this, but yeah, I, I, uh-huh. I looked, I, I got that water bottle or I had that water bottle. That's funny. Okay. So I think we've arrived to the party scene. You know, as we often are one to do, I'm going to put on my script hat for this. Because, you, again, you asked about the Ivan and Justin question. You know, this party scene is a pretty pivotal moment in the movie. And if I were rewriting this, I think I would cut out all of the Monaco stuff and instead use that time to kind of further illustrate this growing divide between the people who are vouching for Tony's abilities and the reality of Tony who's struggling to cope with his declining health. Um, you know, you could also use this time to further Ivan as a capable villain instead of having him just show up randomly to Monaco. You could have him detailing more of his suit and the whiplash stuff that he's working on uh, to make him feel a little bit more menacing. And it would all culminate into the scene where Tony's drunk. You know, Rhodey shows up and they have their fight. And so you still have all those beats play out. But, you know, Tony needs Rhodey there to help him take on Ivan, which illustrates how he's not responsible enough for it. You still have Ivan going away and get to through his whole, if you can make God bleed line, and it ends with Rhodey flying away with the suit, proving that Tony can't have it. So you still have all those beats with what they had, but it's more integrated together instead of what they were given with us. Yeah. No, and that makes a lot of sense, because, like, mm-hmm. uh, 
again, it has that feeling, like you said, of just a bunch of ideas. Uh, like you went into the production with a bunch of ideas and not really knowing how to connect them. And so they kind of mm-hmm. had to improvise and do that on the fly when what you just said is a much better integration of it. And that's, and that's the other thing is like you mentioned about like this hammer and whiplash storylines colliding and why I asked, like, do you think you could have just used one of them? Cause it's like, well, we want whiplash as a, the big bad in that he's a more menacing villain, but we need hammer for his tech, you, you know? Mm-hmm. So like they literally needed each other. And then to continue on what you said, they started in the Senate hearing through the party to the end of Rhodey and Iron Man at each other. We also now, okay, need to find a way to get Rhodey with the suit and into Hammer's hands. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and, and so it was just like, it, it begins to feel like, a, again, like I said, a whole bunch of ideas without actually what is the best way to connect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you would have found a way to, to interweave these stories better that scene where roadie's flying away with the suit and tony's kind of like in the ground you know obviously the drunkenness taken over it would be a lot more impactful watching them finally split instead of it just being these things that we checked in on you know at story beats yeah i will say this though i really and again because i'm trying to find ways to be positive about this i really did enjoy the fight between roadie and tony uh you could clearly see even though tony was drunk that he's much more familiar with the capability of the suit than Rhodey, who was like, I think there was one scene where he was like flying from the ground floor to the middle floor and he's like struggling to fly. Yeah. And so they they were great at detail at keeping those details of someone learning how to use the suit while still fighting. Yeah. And well, you know what? I feel like that was probably my favorite fight scene. In the movie? Yeah. Yeah. I think I might edge it out to the Oracle scene at the end, but it's still a really good one. Okay. Okay. I'll speak to it when we get there, but it's, it's hard. It's a toss up definitely between this one and that one at the end. So I think that moves us into act two, uh, which is going to take us from where after the party scene, Tony's hung over in the donut all the way to him crafting the new element. And I think for me, uh, the first thing I got is like, it is crazy how disjointed the scene between Rhodes delivering the suit to Tony and the donut feels it's almost like a second episode of a TV show has just happened in the middle of our movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like even, even in the, how hard of a cut it is. It's just like, all right, I guess Tony's just chilling in a donut now. Yeah. 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 Like, because you don't know how he got there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, we're just going with it. Yeah. And, and I'll say that, like, it's at this point, I think that we see a lot of jumping around in this section. You know, Road delivers the suit, Tony meeting with Fury, Ivan and the drones, weaponizing the suit. It, it's all these exposition really fast. So we're in the middle of this movie where we really should start to see the tensions of conflict really start to burst at the seams. But instead, we're getting a reset. Yeah. And it does. It does. Man, not only does it feel like a reset, like it it almost makes you it makes you wonder. It almost feels like a dream sequence, like the whole beginning was a dream sequence. Because it's morning. Mm-hmm. It's like you wake up. The, the donut. Fury shows up. 
you get the Natasha reveal, you know, and it's almost like, like, okay, we had to do all this stuff to get to this point. Yeah, I know you didn't like it. We didn't like it either. But it was a necessary evil to to get here. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, because yeah. we were talking about this before. No, go ahead. What? No, I'm just thinking, yeah, it's you know, just crazy. Yeah, we, we were talking about this before. I'm so torn. We're both clearly fans of the MCU and the way that it ties together the universes, but it really does feel like this botched act, this botched first act starts the second act with an abdication of Tony as a capable main character by having Nick Fury come in to put Tony back on the right track. So the thing we love ends up being the problem of this movie. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, we, we've talked about the story circle and how there's always a mentor that guides the main character. You know, the first one was with Jensen, and it was really effective. And I'm trying to work out why Fury being the Jensen role in this movie doesn't work for me. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Jensen helped Tony come to a conclusion, you know, that he needed to be a better person. And Fury just basically tells him, hey, here you go. This is what you need. This is how you be a better person. There's no lesson learned. It's go here and you win. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's like It's like... They did the same thing in Iron Man 1. They started, you know, Hero's Journey, Mid-Journey. And then they kind of started here, kind of in a weird Mid-Journey-esque kind of thing. But not, it's like they didn't know how to do a Hero's Journey. You know, I mean, because in some ways, it's like the public perception of him is your typical Hero's Journey. Because you start at the expo and he is, you know, good to be back and all that kind of stuff. And then you get mm-hmm. a very public fall from grace. But the inner life of Tony, he's mid-hero's journey because he's struggling with mortality. Like he's already in a fallen state. I'm near the end. And mm-hmm. he has to dig out. And and and, the, and then here in this scene those two collide and come together, you know, because we see him in the Iron Man suit without the helmet. So we see the the pattern on his neck. So you're dealing with his mortality. You're dealing with, hey, we're going to get you back to work. Um, and and so, the, so those two sides of him are coming back together, you know, mm-hmm. but it just... It, it, I'm going to say this. I feel like... Dude, God, this is a very strong statement. Do I want to say this? I feel like there's a good movie in there, and we just didn't get it. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm there, too. I really do. And again, we've talked about this before, about how like it's easy for us to kind of you know look back on a finished script and, and, and put these pieces together, but I 100% feel the exact same way you do. You know, Because we even get to the point where Fury is, is discussing Tony's father, and there's a lot of familiarity between Fury and Howard Stark. We've already seen how this movie wants to be an exploration of fathers between Tony and Ivan. And it, it, again, it goes to that whole, like, Fury just gives the information to him. If we had already seen Tony going through different permeations of the element instead of just being told he has, going through more archival footage and learning more about his father instead of it just being brought up, I think, outside of, like... That opening scene with um, the at the expo, I think it would have 
played better because then it feels more like Fury giving a missing element of that Tony was or not element. That's a bad example since he is searching for an element. It would have felt like him giving a missing piece, giving him a missing piece that Tony was already in search for instead of being shown, you know? Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting because like I finally believe like this, this, the, the main theme of this movie is legacy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, cause that's, what's driving Venko. That's, what's driving Tony. <laughs> That's what's driving Hammer and his struggle of what he's trying to build with under Tony, you know, with with Tony doing it better, you know, what's Hammer's legacy going to be? So like that, that's clearly the theme, but like, like the theme got lost, and it's like Fury's back to save it and mm-hmm. reinsert the theme. Mm-hmm. And you know. That first movie dealt, I think, with the ramifications of Family Legacy too, but it was more of a backdrop. And this one tackles it head on more, pitting Ivan and Tony against each other, but it feels less effective. And I think, you know, this film wants to create this divide. Um, you know, it, it sends Tony down this path where he's looking at all this information, but it seems like at almost every turn, the film goes out of its way to assure us, no, 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 Howard Stark was always the person you revered. Like, mm-hmm. instead of this shadow history that they casted on him from Ivan's allegations, the movie was always quick to reassure you, like, no, he's good. Of course, he's we don't, American. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> so even that theme, it doesn't even commit to fully exploring that theme. Yeah. 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 And even, because we also, in this this act, we have that moment where... Tony's watching old archival footage and he sees there's an outtake where his dad basically leaves him a message about the future being in his hands and how one day he'll be able to discover it. And it feels like such a great surface level moment. But I honestly kind of got confused here Um, because, yes, we have the moment where Tony gets his peace because seeing the father, seeing the message that his father left him, but it only resonates in a theme that we haven't earned. So... If I'm remembering correctly, the scene rides off where he's like going towards Pepper's office because he wants to talk to her and reveal to her about like, I've never been able to say it, but I care for you. And so this goes back to what I was saying with the Natasha scene where like this movie wants to work to this point, but it had the weird scene with Natasha. It also wants to have the moment where Tony finds a hidden message in his father's work, but it's only accidentally that he discovers the model that's at the office. Yeah. It's, it, I, and I feel crazy, like, trying to put these pieces together. I hope that made sense. No, it makes sense. I mean, it, it just, well, like, this whole idea, this is the key to the future, you know. I don't have the means mm-hmm. or the technology to do it now. You will. And I'm just kind of like, really? I mean, okay, it's the 70s. They don't have the tech, they don't <laughs> have the tech yet. Mm, uh, okay, well, let's tap the brakes on that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess it's how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go with a connected universe? Or mm-hmm. how do you want to look at it? This movie was made without the other movies, right? Yeah. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because now when you get Endgame and he goes and sees him in the 70s, okay, S.H.I.E.L.D. is fully going and he was there, Right. And so mm-hmm. you have Hank Pym working on his things. You have, clearly he has the Tesseract, you know, and you know Arlen Zola. So you got recruited. So like you got experimentation going on there, you know. 
70s to when this movie came out, what, 2011? 2010? Yeah. Uh, whatever. We're talking about 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know? And even some of the stuff you see back in that they're working on there, it's like, to be like, I don't have the tech now, but one day you will, just seems like such a give up for for <laughs> Howard Stark kind of kind of character and everything else that we know, you, you know, mm-hmm. to and again, it's fitting and it's a nice piece of the film and the connection of the, of the idea of legacy and father and son. And he has the line where it's like, still my greatest creation is you, you know, and and so it's a so it's his the sobering moment for Tony and I and I get all that. But it's like, I got to I got to pick a way to look at this movie. And if I if I look at it without the rest of the MCU, I understand its purpose. I understand the problems with it that you just laid out, but I get the purpose. Mm-hmm. If I bring back the rest of the movies, which I clearly stated, I feel like this movie is better with that context. Mm-hmm. What we know about Howard Stark is kind of a give up on your part. Right, <laughs> we're calling you out, Howard. <laughs> Just saying, man, get to work. <laughs> oh man, I can't help it because you made one off remark about like all the MCU movies are about father issues, and I think this is the father issue of all the father oh, issues in man. the movies. No kidding. <laughs> I will say this. I think in, in this act, we're a lot more all over the place due to the nature of the film itself. But I want to make sure I at least hit this because, like I said, they do have that scene where Tony rushes off to the office and he meets with Pepper. And she, I think, has probably the best line in this entire film because I struggled so hard to find who is the likable lead in this care in this movie. And I think it goes to Pepper for this line and this line alone where she goes, I am trying to do the job that you were meant to do. And it's such an excellent line because it's mm-hmm. a good culmination of Pepper's frustration and honestly mine too. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I love that scene. Um, I actually pick out a different line from there. It's where uh-huh. the realization of the strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> Whose line? Tony's or hers? Uh, hers. It was like, it's like, yeah. you know, it's like the strawberry, you know, and just that whole, the whole interaction, but just on her part, mm-hmm the annoyance and the frustration of like, you bring me the one thing in the world that I can literally cannot have, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. Both of them sum up our, our feelings. I think, I think so too. And I will say again, cause I, I don't want to harp too hard, even though I know I have, it is funny. Tony's retort. Like, he's like, come on, give me some points. I knew there was some correlation between you and strawberries. Oh, man. Which almost might be the heading for the storylines. Okay. It's like, give me some points. We brought back Robert Downey Jr. What else do you want? (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. And I feel bad, genuinely feel bad, because, like, this is a movie, I was surprised at how critical I've been in this Mm -hmm. rewatching in in there. Like, I I knew it was on the bottom end, but Mm -hmm. if you're going to list all the movies and rank them, I just didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect this kind of reaction watching it from with an intentional, okay, I'm going to review it. Yeah. Two things, I think. One, we have the benefit of knowing how everything plays out. And so it's it's a lot easier to harp on it because we know it gets better. And then two, because I even texted you too, it's if I were to just sit and watch this movie, I would enjoy it. 
it, there's oh, something yeah. different about like sitting down to watch it with a critical lens and really try and pull it apart and like what makes it tick because that's when you see all the flaws. And so I, I still enjoy it, but man, it's, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Now I, I do want to go ahead and throw that in. Like I, I do find it interesting that like how much story they compacted into that, that small sequence. Mm-hmm. Cause Stark, I mean, a, you get the the Tesseract shows up, a little drawing of the Tesseract shows up in the notebook, right? As the mm-hmm. footage is going on, um, you get the migrate, my greatest creation is you. So there's legacy, you know, reaffirming there, uh, at the very beginning, you know, when you first start seeing everything you need can be found right here, you know? And so there's this foreshadowing all building towards him having this new element, right? So everything in mm-hmm. that, in that footage of, of the foreshadowing for the new element, the legacy, you know, reaffirming this theme is all packed in right in this little small sequence. Mm-hmm. And then even when you get into, okay, he has a realization, he goes and creates a new element, his line, dead for almost 20 years, still taking me to school. That's a reinforced mm-hmm. legacy. You know, like, like that's this whole sequence. So they, so it's like they had that thread to start from the beginning, and it was just kind of, it's like, like we have this thread from the beginning, let's just set it down for a second, and I'll come back to it. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think playing off that a little bit, because the whole creating the element, it feels like a retread of Tony being trapped in the cave and then and building the arc reactor. Except in the first movie, it was more sympathetic because he was trapped with nothing. And then here, he has everything. And I think the glaring problem is he's playing catch up from a movie spent making a mess. And I think right. that's that's it right there. Yeah. Well, and there's this element. I don't know why they had this line in there. Uh, Jarvis's line of like... Uh, something to the effect of this is impossible. And mm-hmm. then uh, he's like, we're in demolition mode. And he builds his own little Hadron collider or whatever, the the, the, the CERN collider, you know, whatever gave us the Mandela, Mandela effect. Um, <laughs> go down that internet rabbit hole. But, <laughs> but like, I mean, on a small scale, you know, and it's like, like, I don't know if that Jarvis line was to try to make it like show how much of a genius he is. Um, cause if that's the case, it actually made the opposite of for me. Like it was just kind of like being interested in science and in physics and, and those types of elements just naturally for me. Mm-hmm. And so I have an idea on a super limited basis, but I have an idea of like what he's doing or what mm-hmm. they're trying to show him doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like that, that line actually had the reverse opposite, the, the reverse opposite hell does that mean had the reverse effect on me (laughs) no it had the exact effect the reverse opposite um oh my gosh uh but yeah like it's but like it had the opposite effect on me right like it it didn't Mm -hmm. it wasn't like oh you overcome something difficult yeah that's exact i mean that's almost word for word what i wrote in my note we're we're so on sync in this i love it awesome because i put i put jarvis makes the point that building the element is impossible it would have been so nice to demonstrate why it's impossible and use that time to show how Tony overcomes that challenge because we all really because all we really get is a shot of Tony working with no struggle. Right. And that is again the entire movie. There's just almost no struggle for any lessons right. to be learned. Well, and and they have this weird scene with that mirror refla- refracting thing, reflecting thing, right? Where like 
he's trying to use it, and, he's, and he uh, Tony gets to flex his muscles, and then he grabs the big wrench, and then you know he, he's flexing his muscles again. So like, n- not only like is it literally like his brain power, it's also literally literally his um, muscles and physical power to make this. Like it takes both, you know, and and I just it just seemed weird and I'm watching this laser cut through and I'm like the way a laser works, that cut a lot more than just that wall. Like, like, <laughs> like if it cut through the wall, like it kept going, you know, I mean, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't stop. Anyways. I'll say this. I'm going to come clean. The reason why I'm so hard in this movie is because of the scene where he uses cap shield. That's it. That's why I'm coming down hard on this entire film. I don't, I don't understand. Like cap had a little extra cameo experience and was helpful to our hero, what's the problem? <laughs> it's the disrespect. <laughs> that wasn't disrespectful. That was, that was hey, I'm helping save your life, buddy. It is now balanced. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I know we've been struggling with whole acts. Are we moving on to act three? I think we should. I, I think we should. Okay. So as a reminder for those listening, this final act is going to take us from revealing Whiplash's weapon all the way to the end of the film. And so one of the first things I think I wanted to start with is that phone call that Justin has with Ivan about the revelation of like, oh, I can make the suit salute. And he's like, what what, what does that mean? And the thing that I think I came away from all of this is it's so fascinating the way they want to frame Justin Hammer as Tony Stark without the charm, but unintentionally, I think it serves less to dunk on Hammer and more to make us question why we let Tony Stark get away with so much just because he's charismatic. Yeah. Like, that's what I got from Justin's character. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because, like, well, and it's a very human thing, right? Like, it, it, when mm-hmm. if you have a certain level of charisma, let's be honest, you can get away with certain things. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, okay, so let me put it, let me put it this way. My teaching experience... I have kids who you can tell that they have gotten through some things in life by charm, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that charisma. And again, I have juniors and seniors and they come to me and I, I remember telling one kid one time, I was like, I don't find you charming. Wow. I just, I don't, I'd like you to turn in your assignment, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I think in a weird way, I've become immune to it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But truly a little bit because there are some kids who still like they just have a knack for that kind of charisma or charm that if you're not careful, like you can get sucked in and you're just like, oh, man, they're mm-hmm. a good kid and they're and they're playing you, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and you kind of get that out of Tony. But Tony, we let it pass and Hammer, we don't. Mm-hmm. But they're doing the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, I think there is something there. Because I mentioned that I think this film kind of tiptoes into the the haves versus the have-nots with Ivan and Tony. And and they also do it with Ivan and Justin as well. And for me, there's a level of satisfaction watching Justin believe he has the power in this situation. But of course, that's not the case. And I'm, I'm talking about that scene where he's like, hey, you know, I took your shoes. How does that make you feel bad, huh? Like the whole way that he's just talking down to him mm-hmm. is so demeaning. Yeah. And so... The, the power of that scene is if him not realizing that he's being played. And I think it would have been a great opportunity to have this parallel story of these two self-obsessed men being played by Ivan. Right. So the the clear distinction would have been that clearly Justin doesn't learn his, his lesson. 
and Tony does, and we just whiffed on that lesson being learned with the whole him creating the element but not really struggling for it. Yeah. So so basically what they should have done was Hammer and Stark both at the expo. And I'm rewriting the whole movie now. Mm-hmm. Your turn. Van- here, here, take the hat. Vanko is at the expo too, pretending to be some kind of newcomer. And they're both competing for his skills. But meanwhile, he's playing them both and taking an amalgamation of their tech and turning it into what it becomes Whiplash. I like it. You had the green light. I want that film. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> no, that would be really good. Yeah. I like that dynamic. Yeah, I mean... I, I think it would play more into his intellect than just having him retread the cold open of Tony from the first film because you get to see him demonstrating his intelligence and building stuff. Right. Yeah, I think that would have been really effective. Right. Well, I mean, because that's what you... I mean, with Stain, with Obadiah Stain, you got a shrewd businessman a menacing physical presence, but clearly, like, he wasn't the intellect of Stark. Mm-hmm. In Vanko, you kind of get both, the physical menacing presence, but the intellect of Stark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so like, so, so I think that would have been a better way to go and a better way to put the two of them against each other and kind of parallel that story. Yeah. And get more Robert Downey Jr. and Sam Rockwell together. Oh, no kidding. So something else I want to kind of circle in on here is, you know, we get to the point where Ivan has a threat to Tony, uh, where he says something like, um, you know, now the true history of Stark's name will be rewritten. And whenever he dropped that line, I, I think I just thought, what is Ivan's actual goal? Because they frame it as though he wants to destroy the legacy of Stark. But ultimately, all Ivan's attempts so far has been is just to kill Tony. Right. So, to me, I'll, I'll finish with this. It feels like there's a disconnect between what the character is saying and what they're doing. Right. And so my note here is to say, after that phone call, is that, okay, so, Van- so Vanko was fighting for his father's legacy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so in, in a way, again, tie back to that theme of legacy. Like, his, he's fighting for his father's legacy, but we don't know, like, there's no flashback of Vanko... And Stark, right? Like, it's all verbal. It's all, like, headlines, you know, trying to fill in those gaps. And Vanko's dad dies. And, okay, he's sad because his dad died. Um, We're all sad when our dad dies. You you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like you don't, you don't, well, it's almost like in Ant-Man when you get the scene where, um, in the beginning with the de-aged Michael Douglas, you know, mm-hmm. and so you get the, the, the motivation for that character moving forward as to why he does the things he does. Like, like it's, it's almost like we needed that flashback of Vanko doing the stealing. Not even Ant-Man. No, I'm sorry. Ant-Man 2. Ant-Man and the Wasp. They did it so much better. Right? Because you get the motivation mm-hmm. of what Ghost Dad did and you see it. And so you see his motivation as to why he did it. If that makes sense. And so you have some sympathy mm-hmm. for him, but, but yeah. you also realize who Hank Pym is and, and you're kind of with him on the hero and you see the, the good on both, you know, and so you see their motivation. I mean, it's it's basically Ghost is a better Ivan Vinko. 
Mm-hmm. I, and I think you you hit the nail on the head with sympathy. That's what this movie's missing is sympathy for any character. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and and I mean, and again, it's there. There's the legacy. Now, also one of my one of the more silly scenes came out of this, where he gets off the phone mm-hmm. and Stark puts in the new reactor, and. Mm-hmm. what was the big glow thing? And he's like, oh, it tastes like this. Like, I, like, I guess that was comic relief, but it wasn't funny. Okay. I think I can actually answer this, and it's it's more contextual at the time. I'm like 80% certain, and I know this is the dumbest thing in the world, around the time I think that this movie was being made, I remember on, I think, either Reddit or some social media platform People had discovered if you kind of, and I don't advocate for this because I don't know if there's any bad health effects to this, but if you kind of like sort of inhaled at the port of your iPhone, it has like almost a coconut taste. I legitimately think that's what that is referencing. And this could be like some off the wall thing that I'm misremembering, but I'm like 80% sure that's what that was a reference to. Really? Don't If you're doing it to your phone, don't do it. <laughs> no, but I'm just looking. Yeah. Um... I hope somebody can vouch for me because I know this. I feel like I remember this being a thing. Hmm. I'm going to Google it now. I'm, I'm Googling too. I'm Googling. <laughs> I just derailed this whole podcast. I'm Googling. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, regard. What's up? No, no, I'm just, I'm just. So here's the thing. One of the first Googles. Do you taste pineapple when inhaling the air through the headphone jack? So yeah, this was a thing. That, when, did, when was this posted? 2015. So a little past the Iron Man 2 mark. Yeah, okay. Okay, so I'm not 100% crazy. Okay, so yeah, that's. It's wild, right? another reason why i try to stay off reddit (laughs) i'm just a product of the internet man (laughs) oh my gosh i think i once described reddit as to my students i was like you know what please get off reddit there are better there are more productive non-productive time wastes you know i will say this Oh, we're on a tangent. I remember one time you had asked a question on Facebook and I answered with a link to Reddit and you gave me like three paragraphs on why Reddit is bad. And I was <laughs> I don't like, remember that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was just trying to help. But you gave me like a wall of text about why Reddit sucks. <laughs> I don't remember that, but it sounds like something I do. Oh, I apologize. You're totally fine. I was like, okay, all right, I'll never send him a Reddit link again. <laughs> and yet, here we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> again, don't inhale the import of, the port on your phone. <laughs> okay, so I think this brings us up to, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I think it's, I'm super excited. Um, both of us, I feel like our favorite scene of the entire movie, the dance. <laughs> <sighs> so good. It almost redeems everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the look of between, you know, Natasha and Pepper Potts and they just look at each other like, what? Because they clearly, yeah. as you said it in the other episode where we were talking about that dance, um, I think it was the 
the recasting episode, like it, they really captured it great. That little brother trying to to live up to this and just not doing it, um, mm-hmm. you know. But oh, so good, really good. I feel like I am harping on this, but it almost comes full circle to what I was feeling at the beginning. You know, I, I wrote, here we go again. You know, this movie is the embodiment of American arrogance. We started the movie with it, and here we are again at the end, and there's still no real clear solution. Right. And, I mean, with this entire expo demonstration, uh, is you know, this movie shows us if given the Iron Man technology, the American military just over-equips it with weapons. If another tech leader gets a hold of the technology, we're shown that the power lust is corruptible and easily manipulated as the scene with Justin Hammer. And then Tony's just shown as irresponsible. So unintentionally, this entire movie has has not given us a good argument for anyone having this power, which goes back to what we say is okay because in a larger story, it's fine, but as far as a standalone, it's failed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... Uh... Bigger, better, faster, more. Like uh, that's mm-hmm. like that's what it feels like. I mean, my note: they each have a reactor. Like, like it no longer yeah. it no longer feels special. Oh, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. You know, um, like like it just it just doesn't it, because you look at it, each drone and they have a reactor. Ivan has a reactor. Um, he built his first one out of box of scraps. You know, and so it just doesn't feel that that special. In, in a very American way to put it, as we go ahead and harp on America, I guess, um, <laughs> in American culture of what what one of the problems, me personally, I think there is, and I'll just do it this way and just say this is my voice uh, speaking. It's just like we have a really. W- we do a really good job of taking things, you know, and mm-hmm. breaking it down to its core elements, you know. So we like we have we 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 do a really good job of like taking things that are that are really good and authentic, tearing it down to its core elements, and then packaging it for consumption, right? Mm-hmm. And commodifying things, and so you have that, especially if you think about what the arc reactor was by the end of Iron Man 1. It's this representation of Tony's true change of heart. And he tried to improve upon it, but it wasn't until he went back to the original where his true change of heart lied that he could fix or solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, And then now you take that, and that what should have symbolized his true change of heart, the story is it's killing him. Diving into his legacy, he needs, you know, that help to get a new one, okay? But but now everybody has one, you know, mm-hmm. and and it is mindless, literally. It's, they're drones. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's mindless packaging of what the real thing is. Mm-hmm. Dang. I think, that's, I think that's really well said and a great overview of, of everything with this film. So I do like Justin Hammer's jab, though. That's a hell of a lot better than cheer, some cheerleaders. Um, yeah. Clearly poking at Stark. And his, his whole, it's so dorky, but like in a great way. The way he's like moving around the stage and like he, he like outstretches his arms in a weird way while squatting. And it's, it's yeah. so funny. Yeah. 
Oh, man. So moving on to, I think, a more positive note, we were talking about, well, you talked about how you really enjoyed the fight scene between uh, War Machine and Tony in the middle of the movie. And I kind of, I vouched that for me personally, I really like this fight here in that Oracle little sphere that they had going on. And and I think it all starts off with with the dialogue. You know, I love the exchange between Tony and Rhodes as they're kind of like discussing who the big gun is and whatnot, um, primarily because it demonstrates how they've come together. But it also still shows at the core of who they are, they're always going to rub heads like that or bump heads, I should say. And uh, I thought that was really well done. No, it was. The way they brought them back together, there was story elements there that I thought, okay, you're doing this out of convenience and it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like, well, I mean, if Vanko has control of the War Machine thing in full, I don't feel like they were going to be able to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Or Vanko should be able to tap into that and know that Rhodey's mm-hmm. tipping him off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, It was like, you have no control over everything but the comps, you know? And and so, like, and I get that they needed that to make the story or that end sequence work, you know? I mean, they redeemed themselves by retconning Spider-Man into it um, in Mm. the sequence. (laughs) (laughs) I had to throw that in there. Uh, (laughs) But, but yeah, and and it's just, then, then you just had these elements of, like, Eventually, he had the line of like, "Let's take this away from the expo." And um, my thought was like, "What took you so long? Like, you literally mm-hmm. went away and came back while he's shooting at you towards the expo." Mm-hmm. You know, talking about casualties. So I, it just, yeah, that this whole sequence just didn't quite work for me, as well as say like this and the Ironmonger, because there you really felt like they were battling over something, and there was some stakes mm-hmm. involved in who won. Yeah. You know, and, and even you, like, you get this in the end of Iron Man 1, you know, he's running out of power, right? There's tension building and there's tension building. And you never, the tension here was like, where is he? We got to get to him. Oh, he's not there. Where is he? But it never really felt like tension to me. Yeah. I mean, it, I, we've used this exact same phrasing in, in, in Daredevil. It's a checklist. They're just checking off. These are the things that are supposed to happen because this is the end of the film, and now it's happened. Like, right. I didn't, I didn't even put together what you were talking about, uh, how it doesn't make sense that they could communicate to each other between the two suits because Vanko has control of one. I, I think I was just kind of checked out a little bit at the end uh, with any sort of logic they had going. Yeah. I, I do want to say I did enjoy the line, you really want to be a hero? as a way for Tony to signal to Rhodey how they were going to handle the boss fight. Oh, yeah. Like, I like that the the way they took down the villain was the thing that first tore them apart. So it shows that there was growth there. Mm-hmm. But the, something that that sat didn't sit right with me is the way that Tony's like, you really want to be a hero. It, it almost frames it as though this movie was a question of whether or not Rhodey could be the hero. And that was, it's just so tone deaf, given how everything else has played out to this point. Yeah. And... If if they would have at least serviced this tension between them more, it could have worked so much better. But yeah, man. Well, and it's a nice callback. What could have been? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a nice callback, and you see that often, right? Where you, where you do something in the mm-hmm. middle of the movie, and then you have to come back to it. You know, I liked going back to the device, uh, but you've convinced me. Like they could have done it better. Yeah, I think uh, one final thing we got really is kind of here at the end with with Romanoff's assessment um, 
I found it so interesting that they had the line where, you know, Fury says, uh, we want Iron Man, but we don't want you. And Tony is like, how can you prove of me, but not approve me? I got a new ticker. I'm trying to do right by Pepper. I'm in a stable-ish relationship. And it's funny how often this movie unintentionally calls itself out because Tony's right. It doesn't make sense. But these reasons that Tony uses for why he's better now, we haven't seen any of this. No. Like, the the movie didn't make a case for any of this or any sort of reason that this has been learned by Stark. It's it's it like it it's like it knows what's wrong and just couldn't finish it. Right. And what I find fascinating is again, this movie gets better with the others, and I'm mm-hmm. convinced that I don't think that they had Iron Man three played out. No. Right. Like like Iron Man three that fits very well with Iron Man three. Right. What what mm-hmm. is it? Me or the suit? Right. Let's take him out of mm-hmm. the suit and show that it's Stark, it, it kind of kind of thing. And we'll I'll save a lot of that for the Iron Man three review. Mm-hmm. But like that's the whole idea of that movie, and they're setting it up perfectly by saying, "Yeah, we want Iron Man, but not Stark." And he's like, "Wait a minute, I you know." So it's almost like they're setting up that conflict for the next movie, but I don't think they mm-hmm. actually had that planned. Yeah, and and say and like get Shane Black in and let's do this. Like I think it was get right. Shane Black in and this is what he wanted to do, is the way I think mm-hmm. it went. So, so it's weird how that worked out, but in the moment, like, yeah, we didn't see any of that. Yeah, it's so abrupt. You know, I I think we've we've reached the end of the different acts. Uh, do you have any overall impressions of this movie? Before the overall impression, I'm going to give two tidbits. Okay. Okay. Uh, I noticed a mistake in all that fighting. Yeah. There was a scene where, man, I can't imagine what it looked like on the big screen because it was so obvious on my iPad watching it. <laughs> Justin Hammer had a broken glasses. He was wearing glasses and really? it was shattered. And they cut away from him and cut back and he wasn't wearing glasses at all. And there was close-ups. It wasn't, huh. like, in the background. It was close-up shots of speaking parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of surprised me. And then it, it's it's dated enough that, I mean, either one of us brought it up yet. I have the note, and I'm curious how many people think about this, especially now, being so far removed. Happy wanted to teach boxing. He clearly boxed his way while Natasha Romanoff I mean, we didn't even talk about that. Like, we get so distracted from the rest of it. But Natasha Romanoff takes out all these people, you know, happy fights. And then you have a scene where he bites off his ear, which is simply Mm -hmm. a reference to the Mike Tyson to Vander Holyfield um, (laughs) moment, you know. Uh, So, so yeah, and it's like, uh, but that, I feel like that gets lost in everything else. It is a funny moment because, I mean, the way Happy has given it all for one guy and then turns around and Natasha has cleared out the entire building. Uh, with that said, overall thoughts, I agree. Like, if I'm just going to sit there and watch it, and I have, like, I've actually watched this movie a number of times, I enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. I defend it a lot of times within the context of the MCU of there's so much stuff they pull out of this connective tissue-wise that connects to other movies that it becomes really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see Justin Hammer again, and I think that would be great. So it introduces Black Widow. Like, so there's there's a whole lot of Coulson leaves here to go search out Thor. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so much in this that's important to the rest of the MCU 
But a watch like this with a critical review of it, it does not hold up. Yeah. And if I watched it this way originally, it probably wouldn't have held up then. Yeah. I I think I'm right there with you. Um, for me, my overall impression, I honestly didn't expect to come out of this one so hard on the film. Uh, like you, I've defended before. And to some extent, I do find it enjoyable. But when you really sit down, it's hard to deny that structurally it just doesn't work. Um, I think the movie has pieces to make a pretty compelling argument about whether or not Tony Stark is responsible enough to wield the power of Iron Man, but it does nothing to answer the question. So instead, we get, you know, half-baked themes with big revelation moments that don't really resonate with the story it's trying to tell. Right. Well, (laughs) I know. I didn't expect. This is their second MCU movie. What happened? (laughs) I'm speechless right now. Me too. Um, I think yeah. we should turn to the question of the week and maybe save it. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, all right. So uh, this week's question of the week. Uh, you say that dude. so dejectedly. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I know. I was so caught off guard. Uh. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Fresh start. This is still net it, but fresh start. Whew. So Jude, which movie would you remake? The Incredible Hulk with Mark Ruffalo or Iron Man with Don Cheadle? Iron Man with Don Cheadle super easy. really yeah i i yeah. like his take on it um and mm-hmm. i don't know it could be because and this is not a good argument it could be mm-hmm. because you see so much more of don Cheadle's roadie that terrence mm-hmm. howard's portrayal is out of place you know mm-hmm. but like i'm imagining the scene that we had a problem with them on the plane right and the girls dancing and stuff but and the things that terrence howard's trying to say to him Mm-hmm. But seeing Don Cheadle play that part um, and imagining how he would do it, I just think I'd like it better. Or, or seeing how he played that part when he's like, next time, maybe, you know, it's like looking at the thing mm-hmm. like it just I feel like it would be better all the way around. Yeah, I can definitely see that because it, War Machine becomes so much more um, resonant within other films and the Incredible Hulk is so often disregarded as even being part of the MCU. Yeah. But that's the reason that the answer is opposite for me. I think I would really would love to see The Incredible Hulk with Mark Ruffalo from the beginning mm-hmm. because I think we would see them reach for it for connective tissues more than they do now. Okay. Which is hard because I, I'm with you too. I love Don Cheadle as War Machine and Rhodey and I would love to see it from the beginning – but if we could peek into this alternate universe, I'd love to see what the Mark Ruffalo and the Incredible Hulk would do for the overall series. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense. Like, if you had that, maybe they won't... I wouldn't say they ignore it, but they maybe they would more clearly try to pull into that, um, mm-hmm. to that movie. So that's a good point. I, I really do think that's a good point. Um, I guess... Man, to be honest, without having watched Incredible Hulk in a while... Mm-hmm. I still want to go with Cheeto because I feel like nothing against Terrence Howard, but I just feel like Cheeto did a better job acting it, and yeah. I feel like Ed Norton didn't do terrible acting it. Mm-hmm. You know, I I like Ruffalo better, but I don't think it was a bad portrayal of Bruce Banner either. Whereas, like, right. it just. Side by side, it's like Ruffalo's better, but Norton wasn't bad. Side by side, mm-hmm. Cheadle's better, 
so much so that I wish we had him from the beginning. For me. I can see that. Yeah, that makes total sense. But yeah, if you'd like to weigh in with which movie you'd rather see remade with the respective characters, or if you'd like to comment on your thoughts with Iron Man 2, you can always reach us on Twitter and Instagram at MCU Need to Know. Or if you'd like to write us an email, you can write us at MCU Need to Know at gmail.com. And we'd appreciate it if you subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Uh, all the feedback helps us make a better product for you, and please share with a friend. Also, as this drops, it is November 2nd here in the United States, and we want to give one more final reminder to all those that are registered and eligible to vote. Please do your part and vote in this 2020 presidential election. Yep. You have 24 hours. This is it. Yep. Make a plan. Get out there and make vote. Make it happen. Mm-hmm. And finally, we'd like to give a special shout out to Nick Sandy for the use of his theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. If you'd like to find more of his work, you can find it linked in his SoundCloud, which is linked below. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Now, well, the other thing we get of this scene, we get the Don Cheadle Rhodey introduction, mm-hmm. and his first line was brilliant. Right? Look, it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. Let's move on. But, like, to me, that's directly at the fans. You know? And I love It's an it. energy I think Don Cheadle has bursted in with and has ridden ever since. I, yeah. I really love Don Cheadle's Warhammer, his, um, his Rhodey, and Warhammer? it's just like that- Oh my God! What's going on? <laughs> I hate when we take breaks. We have an intake. Oh my God! I'm editing. That's what's the intake. <laughs> okay, let me uh, let me chime in again. You don't even play Warhammer. <clears throat> I know. Why is it on my brain? <laughs> okay. <clears throat>